We continue today in our love series. We will pick up with uh, the first reading from Deuteronomy chapter 7. Before we do, do that, would you join me in a word of prayer? <clears throat> Gracious God, may your Holy Spirit move among us in these words of Scripture and sermon and in the meditations and discussions of all of us. Help us to be alive and alert to your presence, your guidance, and your grace for us all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first passage comes from Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, beginning with verse 7. Listen for the word of the Lord. I'll read selected verses. <clears throat> it was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all the peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestors that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, the faithful God, who maintains covenant loyalty with those who love him, and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. The second passage from the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, beginning with verse 8, and again, selected verses. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag who stands at the wall, looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. O oh, my dove, rise up, my fair one, and come away. To the clefts in the rock, in the secret places in the cliffs, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 9. Now concerning love for the brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anyone write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, beloved, to do so more and more. And finally, from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. I just uh, want to say uh, that uh, I, I am uh, grateful for any people who listen to uh, a sermon and make it all the way through. Apparently, during the sermon I gave last week, one of the young people in the congregation kept count of how many times I used the word love. <laughs> Evidently, I clocked in at 105. <laughs> Uh, I uh, am grateful for their careful listening, and I want to say to that person, if they're here, I'm just getting started. 
Because love is throughout the Bible. It's not just in one book in the Bible. Some people just think it's in the New Testament. It's not. It's throughout the Bible. There are all these different ways that we are uh, given to have us think about God's love. Uh, I, I've, uh, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned because, uh, you, you know, sometimes I can be a bit of a, a, a Bible wonk and get too deep into it. Uh, so uh, I'm, I, I put a dictionary list for you on the front page of the bulletin today uh, because you might get lost in all of this. Um, I think this is just sort of the, some of the, uh, the, 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 the groundwork for a longer series that we'll have on love. But I want to lift up this idea that there are different words in the Bible to express different dimensions in love, uh, about love. Because words matter. Every word is a code packed with information. Some words that we have are thin, they mean one thing and one thing only, and other words are thick. They're like sedimented layers of rock that you see exposed on a mountainside, densely packed with layer after layer after layer that stretch up to the heavens. Words matter. These dense words matter. And, and how we use them in different times and places. That we have these words matter. I lived in Nashville for a number of years, and it almost never snowed there. I felt like a negligent parent not providing snow for my children, right? But then when it did snow, watching these Nashvillians drive, it was like they woke up to a brand new world. It was more like watching them play bumper cars than driving in the snow. But in Michigan, we're ready for the snow with our language because we know how to prepare because we have different words and phrases to describe snow. Flurries, sleet, slush, powder, lake effect, blizzard, blinding snow, big fat flakes, drizzling snow, drifting snow, driving snow, new snow, dirty snow, good packing snow, and snow over black ice. We've got all these words and phrases that orient us and help us be prepared for how we go out and meet the world. Words are about perception. How we're able to see and perceive what is out there. Without the words, we really don't see what's going on. So I want to talk about these biblical words for love because there are all these different understandings that matter. Uh, love is complex in the Bible. There's different dimensions of God's love. Uh, and and, and I'd, I'd like us to have some sort of sense of a few of the many words for love that are in the Bible. So we'd start with Ahava, or Ahab, depending on how you pronounce it. It's the most commonly used word for love in the Hebrew. Uh, and, and it is about this deep affection like you'd have for a family member or a close friend. Ahava is not a passive word, but an active word uh, that, that, that shows that this is somebody who actively loves you. Uh, in Deuteronomy 7, it says, God made a covenant with Israel because God ahavas you. God loves you. It's a love that... that, that orients us, that mobilizes our whole self and moves us, impels us towards action. Hava is this relational family type of term. And, and one of the, 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 the bedrock understandings of this word of, of love is to give. 
It is a giving love. When you love someone, you give to them. Like Jacob. Jacob uh, gave up seven years of his life as an indentured servant to win permission to wed his wife. And he says those seven years seemed almost like a few days because he had this have, this, this, this love for her in that way, a passionate giving love. I list the word eros, and you can write in your notes, this word never appears in the Bible. Uh, the erotic love. They did not want to make a, make a, uh, a connection with uh, the, the, some of the types of religion uh, that, that were there in the ancient Middle East, so they didn't talk about this kind. But, but then you have the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon, which is this beautiful, tender love poem that if a preacher wants to keep his job, he's probably not going to read in church. Okay. But in the privacy of your own home, please read the Song of Songs to see this, this kind of love is affirmed in the Bible. Uh, an embodied love is part of what God gives to us. Um, <clears throat> chesed is another word in the Old Testament and probably one of the most important words of the Old Testament, chesed. It's used 250 times in the Hebrew Bible. And it has all these related meanings. Talk about a thick, sedimented meaning in, in, a, in a word. Um, it can be translated in various places in the Bible, mercy or compassion or faithfulness or grace. But there are all these different terms that, that, that really kind of join together. It may be translated with one of those words or simply love, but it always has these multiple meanings. Faithful, loving, kindness. Uh, this loyal love that's there for us. Um, chesed is the kind of, uh, of love that God has for us that is, is at its core about loyalty. And we all know uh, about people who uh, love us and leave us, <laughs> who are not there for the long run. Um, it, it, God is described in time after time after time as having chesed, this love that's not going to give up on us. God's trustworthy, enduring, loyal. And it's part of God's character to be this way. When, when God appears to Moses to give the law for the second time, he's, uh, Moses describes God as abounding in chesed because he is saying this is God's character, a loyal love that will not give up with us. Maybe you know someone who, who sticks with a loved one in times of, of uh, long-term medical illness, and you were to ask them why they stuck with them, and they, they would probably say, as one of my family members did, well, I stood in front of the minister at our wedding and said, in plenty and want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health. It is such a blessing to see people who really have that chesed love, that loyal love that sticks in difficult times, no matter what. Ruth does that. In the book of Ruth, take a look at that sometime. Ruth has chesed towards Naomi and Boaz, uh, and they recognize that even though she's a foreigner, that she has the kind of love, the kind of stick to in love that, that God has, that Ruth became an orientation figure 
that changed the imaginations of a whole nation. Imagine a love that sticks, that stays, that's going to be there. That's God's love, a loyal love uh, that, that is always there with us. And sometimes we need to remember in our difficult times that God is loyal to us and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In the New Testament, you've got the Greek word philia, as in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Uh, it is a word about the love of a family, of brothers and sisters. And sometimes God's love is experienced in that way, like, like this family love, like a love that, that deep friends have with each other where they feel like family. The word philia awakens possibilities in our imagination of just how we can treat one another. Uh, the friendship in Christ is a bond that that puts us together where we love one another. Paul says, love one another like brothers and sisters. Love one another with that kind of affection. That's how Christ loves us. That's how we are set free to love one another and, and challenged and invited to love one another in that way, to practice this kind of love. We, we do these small groups uh, and these uh, other activities to help people come together and practice being loving, discovering what it means to be in community together. As opposed to all the other relationships where someone rules over someone or bosses over them or uses them, Jesus reinterprets to say, you know, life can be lived as loyal friends, as brothers and sisters together. And that's what it looks like sometimes in the church when we're at our best, being concerned, being caring, and, and recognizing that without one another, life just wouldn't be complete because we take delight in one another as we come to know one another and see the gift that the other person is around us, the gift of God. Philia is an end to tribalism in ancient times and it's an invitation to end tribalism in the present time because the family just keeps getting larger and larger. The most important word for love in the Greek New Testament is agape, a self-giving love. If eros is the love that loves to get, agape is the love that loves to give. Agape. For God so agape the world that he gave us his only son. He loved with a self-giving love. Agape in the book of Romans, as Paul says, while we were sinner, God, Paul, pardon me, while we were sinners, God agaped us. God loved us with this self-giving love. And as we saw last week in 1 John, God is agape, God is love. Agape, well, that kind of love does not expect us to be perfect before we're loved. Agape doesn't value only the perfect and the precious, but the distorted, contorted, unwanted, and lost. Timothy Jackson calls it strong agape, as opposed to other notions in the... <clears throat> as opposed to other notions in the ancient Middle East of, of agape. This is a strong agape that has three dimensions in particular. Number one, in your mind, you unconditionally will the good 
of the other person. If you really love someone, you really have that agape love, you are willing their good in your mind. Number two, in your heart, you feel for them. You love them and, and that there is a feeling that happens where you, you truly see them differently because you love them. And thirdly, in your actions, you're willing to sacrifice for them, to serve, to sacrifice. That's a concept that is there in agape. If there's no serving one another, if there's no sacrificing for someone else, well, that's not really agape. Agape is this strong love. It's the foundation for Christian life. It's the foundation for Christian ethics. And it's the overarching value that without it, life itself just wouldn't be good and anything in life doesn't have the same goodness because the love is what makes it apparent, clear, real in our lives. Experiencing this kind of agape love from God sets us free. Not the freedom to do whatever I want, but free to love in ways that I never thought anyone could. It sets us free from the prison of the ego and egocentricity. It takes us out of the egocentric life and into the theocentric life where, where God is at the center. And that, 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 that centeredness in God sets us free to love in all sorts of ways that we didn't think were possible before. Thank you for thinking with me about this love language in the Bible. Words really do matter. Having these different concepts helps us to perceive different dimensions of what God is doing in our lives and in the world. It helps us to perceive just how profoundly, broadly, deeply, and high that God loves us. And it helps set us free to act out the different demands because we perceive what is required in this time and this place. Different kinds of love may be required. It's not one size fits all. It's becoming deeper, more wise, more, more understanding in our knowledge of what love is about. I think if anyone ever had a passion for words, uh, a, a faithful person who had a passion for words, it was the Bible scholar Gerhard Kittel. Uh, he was the chief editor that oversaw the best Bible dictionary that's ever been made. It was, in its unabridged version, 27 volumes long. And I'm talking <clears throat> the big fat volumes of this dictionary. And, and, and he was over, overall uh, coaching a team to discern what every word and phrase in the Bible meant. And yet for all of that, what Kittle writes is that the people of the Bible, whenever they got lost, could reorient themselves by remembering God's love. They could reorient themselves by remembering God's love. That's not a one-dimensional love. That's 
being able to see the different dimensions of God's love, the different direction God calls us to go. Words matter. Every word of love in the Bible matters. And it is, as Sarah said, a light. A flashlight, a searchlight, a headlight, a beacon, a traffic light, traffic light, letting us know when the most loving thing we can do is to stop. And letting us know when the most loving thing we do has to be to go. God guides us in God's love. God guides us home. May we grow in our understanding of how in all the different dimensions it appears of how God loves us. And may we follow the light in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.